Alright, Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah wa la alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Awayna ta'allamu wa ta'alimu wa tadhakkuru wa tadhkiru wa nafa'u wa l-intifa'u wa l-ifadatu wa l-istifada. Wa l-hatha ala tamasuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati wa sunihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, we left off in the treaties uh, for the seekers of guidance. And we were in this section where um, we had just spoken about فإنه كان يقال كفى بالمرء عيبا أن يستبين له من الناس ما يخفى عليه من نفسه أو يمقت الناس فيما يأتي مثله أو يؤذى جليسه أو يقول في الناس ما لا يعني. So we had, I think, finished that section, but just to repeat it for the sake of coming back to it after a couple weeks. He said to have concern over your concerns. <laughs> have concern over your concerns. Meaning like pay attention. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. And work towards the rectifying of yourself. So much so that it prevents you from worrying about the inadequacies of others. Because in the past it would be said... It is enough of a deficiency for a person that they see clearly in others what is hidden from themselves. Meaning, they have something in themselves and they don't recognize it. But when they see it in someone else, they see it clearly. Right? And in this context, Sayyidina Isa is uh, said to have said that you can see the speck of dust in your brother's eye but you cannot see the log that's in your own eye. You have this big problem with yourself, but you see it in someone else, you don't see it in yourself. So this is sufficient as a deficiency in a person. Or, number two thing that he mentions, it used to be said, and number two thing is that they hate people for something that they themselves do. Or that... Oh, you should have been... Or they harm the person that sits with them. They harm the person that sits with them. The person who shares their majlis. They harm that person. Or they say to people that which does not concern them. They talk about things that are not their business to be talking about in the first place. <laughs> uh, sometimes these things, they feel so distant. You know, Like, well, who am I going to sit with them? There are people like this. There are people in the world who... Um, they're not like... The, the, court, the majority of their conversation is not having problems with other people or uh, criticizing other people or 
speaking about things that they don't really have any business talking about or being harmful. There, there are people like that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us their company. Then he continues and he says, وَاسْتَعْمِلْ لِلَّهِ عَقْلَكِ فِي تَرْكِ التَّدْبِيرِ وَاسْتَعِنْ بِاللَّهِ عَلَى صَرْفِ الْمَقَادِيرِ قَالَ عَلِيٌّ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ يَبْنَ آدَمْ لَا تَفْرَحْ بِالْغِنَى وَلَا تَقْنَطْ بِالْفَقْرِ وَلَا تَحْزَنْ بِالْبَلَاءِ وَلَا تَفْرَحْ بِالْرَخَاءِ فَإِنَّ الذَّهَبَ يُجَرَّبُ بِالنَّارِ وَإِنَّ الْعَبْدَ الصَّالِحَ يُجَرَّبُ بِالْبَلَاءِ وَإِنَّكَ لَا تَنَالُ مَا تُرِيدُ إِلَّا بِتَرْكِ مَا تَشْتَهِي وَلَن تَبْلُغَ مَا تُؤَمِّلُ إِلَّا بِالصَّبْرِ عَلَى مَا تَكْرَهُ وَبْذُلْ جُهْدَكَ لِرِعَايَةِ مَا افْتُرِضَ عَلَيْكَ Wow, this is, it keeps going. This is all still the statement of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Tayyib, we'll stop here. He says, <coughs> Al-Muhasibi says, Use your intellect for the sake of Allah in leaving tadbir. وَاسْتَعِنْ بِاللَّهِ عَلَى صَرْفِ الْمِقَادِيرِ And seek Allah's aid in dealing with that which happens from the affairs of this world. Okay? So this is kind of a complicated one. First of all, you have to understand what is tadbir. Very briefly, tadbir is an important um, a key term in Islamic spirituality. The key term is tadbir. Tadbir, tadbir is like when you overthink something. Okay, so obviously we're supposed we're we're guided by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, guided by Allah subhanahu wa taala, to take some level of effort to organize our lives. Right, certain things you do, certain things you don't do. Put this in this place. Put that in that place. Plan for this thing. Plan for that thing. It's, there's a certain level at which that's reasonable, right? And then there's there's two extremes. One extreme is the person who doesn't plan anything. Uh, in, in a negligent way You have to be a little bit careful with this Because <laughs> Because um, As long as she's talking She's good Alhamdulillah. <laughs> uh, then, uh, And then the, the part that goes too far Is when people think that they can control everything And plan out everything And nothing will go except the way that they planned And both of these have a level of extremeness to them uh, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to have tadbir. And what's interesting about his expression, I mean, not by leaving it. So what's interesting about his expression, he's saying, use your intellect for Allah to leave this over planning. Because if someone has true sound intellect, they understand that this over planning is not actually a good thing. And it's not effective and it's not useful in any sort of way. Thank you. Okay, pick one. Take both of them since you guys made them. Um, so don't overdo your planning uh, You'll understand A person with sound intellect will understand There's a point at which this is too much And so use your intellect for Allah And leave that tadbir And seek Allah in His aid In planning the things that need to get planned and Dealing with the things that you need to deal with We talked about this last time I think, right? The idea of I'm not going to leave a door that is open To go to a door that's closed You remember that story? There was a guy who came to um, one of the mashayikh and he said to him help me with so and so person and he said okay then let's go make wudu and pray two rakah and ask Allah to help us because I'm not going to leave the door that's open to go to the door that's closed door to, the door that's closed is the person they needed help from and the door that's open is Allah's door 
Right? So he said, we're going to go to the door that's open before we go to the door that's closed. So seek Allah's aid in, in handling these things that we have in our lives. You know, SubhanAllah, Allah sometimes moves things in different ways. Then Ali radiallahu anhu, he says, Ali radiallahu anhu said, uh, O son of Adam, do not become overjoyed with wealth and do not lose hope in the face of poverty and do not be saddened or maybe deeply saddened by difficulty and do not be overjoyed by comfort because gold is tested by fire gold is tested by fire and the righteous servant is tested by difficulties gold is tested by fire and the righteous servant is tested by difficulties they say why because in the when they would try to test gold to know its level of purity what they would do is they expose it to high level of fire so you put this gold under this fire and this heat and when you do that then it becomes clear which part of it is gold and which part of it is some sort of impurity so the gold is purified by being by having the fire applied to it it's actually the meaning of it's one of the meanings of fitna the word fitna comes from this idea of gold being exposed to fire and then he says, and the righteous per person is purified by being exposed to difficulty. This is how they actually um, reassess things and, and look at things properly and put things back in the right place and so on. This is part of the blessing of how the righteous person benefits from these trials. And as they look at it and they make an adjustment. Uh, so he says in the bottom here something beautiful. He brings a quote of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. Who said, مَا أُبَانِي عَلَىٰ أَيِّ حَالٍ أَصْبَحْتْ أَعَلَىٰ مَا أُحِبُّ أَمْ عَلَىٰ مَا أَكْرَهْ ذَلِكَ لِأَنِّي لَا أَدْرِي أَنْ خَيْرَ فِي مَا أُحِبُّ أَوْ فِي مَا أَكْرَهْ So Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhi said this. He said, I'm not concerned about which state I wake up in. You know? That's <laughs> really, I think, a little bit counterintuitive for how we think about things. And there's a sweet spot here. We want to know our emotions enough that we can recognize them and then ignore them. <laughs> not, not completely ignore them, but like we want to know them enough so that we can recognize them and then put them where they belong. Maybe I should put it that way. We can recognize them and put them where they belong. Sometimes they don't have to be paid attention to. You know, I woke up today and I was just in a bad mood. Okay. Whatever. Like, I woke up, I was in a bad mood. I can wake up, recognize, subhanAllah, I'm in a bad mood today. And then proceed to not allow that bad mood to be in charge of anything for what's happening afterwards. I can wake up and be like, man, I'm really uncomfortable. Like, I'm irritated. Why am I irritated? Oh, I think I'm irritated because... I slept kind of funny and like there's a little bit of pain in my back. So then at that point now, I know that. I, I have enough awareness to be able to know that and to say, okay, that's why I'm irritated right now or that's why I'm uncomfortable right now or that's what it is that's wrong with me and now I'm just going to like proceed to put that accordingly. Or like I'm uncomfortable with this situation because I don't like being in front of people. And then I can be like, okay, well that doesn't mean that it's bad and like... It doesn't mean I shouldn't do it per se. Maybe I should still do it. And I need, to be, I need to be in that position where I'm in front of people because there's a greater benefit and so on and so forth, even though I don't like it. So I recognize that you're there, this feeling, and you know, 
It's okay. Or maybe you just wake up and like things are not the way you wanted them to be. So Sayyidina Omar is saying what? He's saying, I don't care how I wake up. This is literally what he said. I don't care how I woke up. If, it's in a, in, if, if I find when I wake up what I want or if I find what I don't want, it doesn't matter to me. Because I don't know where the ultimate good is. Is it in what I want or what I don't want? Uh, subhanAllah. This is a profound statement. This is, these are people who... Uh, it's, it's, I, <clears throat> like they're really vijan. I don't know how to say it. Like it's, it's hard to talk about in English. Like There's a true level of like uh, adultness there. Manliness like... Okay, this is this is what it is, and I'm gonna still keep going. the The problem is when you go the other way. I think many of our people have gone the other way. In the one generation ago, everyone went one way. Our generation, everyone goes the other way. Inshallah, we can try to find somewhere in between. One extreme is, I don't have any feelings at all. Many people in generation above us were like, you know, there's just no feelings in the first place. You're just you're doing whatever you're doing, and I don't pay attention to anything, and there's just nothing, you know. And that's not good. That's actually a sign that the person's heart has died. And, um, and, or that it's just been completely shut off. Like there should be some feelings. <clears throat> the other side of it is like the feelings are completely in charge of everything. Okay. They're there for a reason. They're there so we can connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that we can know ourselves. So that we can make sound decisions. So that sometimes, sometimes they're there for very reasonable reasons. Like, I feel uncomfortable about this situation. Why do I feel uncomfortable about it? Oh, because I don't trust this person. Why don't I trust them? I'm not really sure, but I don't really trust them. Okay. I'm not going to ignore that. You know, I'm, I'm going to leave it there and try to figure it out. Maybe with time it will become clear. Maybe that will adjust the level of vulnerability I have, so on and so forth, right? There's different possibilities for this. Anyways, he says that uh, Sayyidina Omar said that statement, okay? About this idea of the gold being tested by the fire, it was said by Al Fayruz Abadi. Al Fayruz Abadi. He's a famous author of a dictionary. That was a thing in our tradition. <laughs> you could become famous for being the author and commentator of a tremendous dictionary because you'd be like really important then. You know all the words that get used in the Islamic lexicon. You know what all they, all of their meanings. You know it's like, it's, it's pretty important. So he said the following about this idea. He said, "اختبار الله تعالى لعباده تارة بالمسار ليشكروا وتارة بالمضار ليصبروا فصارت المنحة والمحنة جميعا بلاء فالمحنة مقتضية للصبر والمنحة مقتضية للشكر." Wow, that is an amazing comment, subhanAllah. He said the following. This is his conversation on the definition, right, of the, of the word. He says, this is why dictionaries were amazing. He says, the, tr the trial that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to his servants, sometimes it's in good things, so that they express gratitude. 
and sometimes it's in difficulties, so that they exercise patience. So the gift and the trial are both tests. So the gift and the trial are both tests. Uh, the difficulty, it requires patience. And the blessing, it requires gratitude. And fulfilling the rights of patience is easier generally than fulfilling the rights of gratitude. So being given a gift became the more difficult of the two tests. It's very important, especially for American Muslims, to understand this. I think sometimes we look at everyone else around the world and we're like, alhamdulillah, we have running water and we have cars and we have roads and we have Irvine and we have everything else that we have. But like, you really need to understand this point very, very clearly. So which one became more difficult? Which one was more difficult? Fulfilling the obligations of gratitude. Fulfilling the obligations of gratitude is more difficult than fulfilling the obligations of patience. They usually say in the books. And because of this, Sayyidina Umar an, he said, we were tried with difficulty and we were patient. And we were tried with blessings and we weren't patient. We were tried with blessings and we weren't patient. And Sayyidina Ali an, he said, the one whose dunya, their worldly life, has been flung open for them, and they don't realize that this is a trial for them, then they've been deceived. Like their, their, their intellect has deceived them. They, they, didn't, they didn't think about it properly. They didn't understand it properly. That this is a major, major test. I think about this a lot, subhanAllah, because our lifestyles are really expensive. It's a test. It's all a test. How we use our wealth is a major test. Huge test. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and we test them, Allah said this in the Quran, and we test you by bad and good as a fitna so that you go back to us. We test you with bad and good as a trial so that you come back to us, Allah says. Both of these are meant to take us back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's a beautiful line of poetry here, subhanAllah. Uh, I was telling Sheikh Suhail about this two weeks ago when we were in the valley, because I had read this. Um, he says, It's beautiful. He says, there's, the poet said, eight things, they, they cross, they, they happen to everybody. Basically, eight things, they happen to everybody. And every single human being has to meet these eight things. They are happiness and sadness. I'm going to leave these in Arabic. Difficulty and ease. Sickness and health. Okay? So, happiness and sadness. Difficulty and ease. Sickness and health. Furqatun wajtima'un. You could translate that as like being alone and being together. But I don't actually lean to this translation because the rest of the things that are mentioned are more internal. And being alone or being in group are more external things. Um, so I lean towards understanding this as more of a... Um, like they'll have times when inside they're all together. And they'll have times when inside they're all scattered. I feel like this is more in line with everything else that's said, right? So you have, you have happiness, you have sadness, you have times when everything comes together internally, 
and you have times when everything's scattered apart internally, and you have times where there's difficulty, and you have times where there's, where there's ease, and you have times where there's sickness, and you have times where there's health. Every human being will face these things. Every human being. It's really beautiful. And that's why the people of insight, spiritual insight, they say, Dawamun hal min al-muhal. Dawamun hal min al-muhal. That for things to remain in one state is impossible. For things to remain in the same state always is impossible. It does not happen that way. Okay, I'm trying to figure out where was this passage. There was a passage that I was really hoping we were going to get to today. But I can't really find it now. Oh, that's 13 pages from now. Okay. Maybe we're not going to get to it today. I thought it was really... Maybe I'll bring it at the end. I felt it was very Father's Day appropriate. You know? Uh, if you remind me... If we don't get to it and, and you remind me, inshallah, uh, I'll bring it up. So all of these things, the, the righteous servant is being tested with these things. وَإِنَّكَ لَا تَنَالُ مَا تُرِيدُ إِلَّا بِتَرْكِ مَا تَشْتَهِينَ and he says, and you will never get what you want except by giving up what you desire. Slightly different words. You will not give up what you want except by giving up what you desire. And uh, the thing is, is that a lot of times what we desire is not exactly what we want and it gets in the way of what we want. So maybe what we want is some sort of... Uh, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't give examples. Actually, I was listening to a sheikh recently, and he said, when you don't have to give examples, you shouldn't give examples. Just make sure that they understand the principle. Because if you give examples, then they start to think only about those examples, and they forget that it applies to more than that. Well, that's an interesting take. I don't know if I agree 100%, but it's an interesting take. So he says, if you don't give up what you desire, you won't get what you want. If you don't give up what you desire, you won't get what you want. So maybe you want, I don't know, to achieve something in particular. In order to give it up, you're, in order to get it, you're going to have to give up certain things that maybe take up time. You know, Maybe a person has a desire to look at Instagram. I've, I've done screen time assessments with some of my school students and found tremendously disturbing things. Like people who spent an entire day out of their last week was on TikTok. You know, like literally more than a day actually, technically out of the last seven days was on TikTok, you know? And so there's a level at which someone will be like, well, I don't have time to do this or that. It's like, well, but you had four hours for Instagram and you probably weren't doing anything useful on Instagram. Most of us are not really doing anything useful on Instagram. Uh, so four hours is a lot. You know, actually, one of the things I believe now, people are always like, we're so busy, we're so busy, we're so busy. There's one part of this that's true that people... Some people are working more than they used to. There's, there's, some of that is true. But there's also an issue of like, if you have three, four, five hours extra phone time a day that's unnecessary, yeah, of course you're not going to have time for community. I mean, like, who has time to take three hours out and go to the masjid and spend the evening in the masjid and like attend a class or something if they spent three hours a day on their phone doing nothing? 
Like, yeah, you, you're right. You don't have time, actually, because you don't have time. One of my theories, actually, of why we don't have time anymore for community is because we literally are putting it into the phone. And on, on the premise of being more connected through this device, we're actually physically more disconnected. You know, subhanAllah, it's a scary thing. Might not be, you know, take it for what it's worth. You can disagree. But um, the general point is we have to give up a little bit of what we desire if we want to get what we want. And then he said, and you won't get what you hope for except with patience over what you dislike. And you won't get what you hope for except with patience over what you dislike. Also, it's like very true, you know. Timeless wisdom. One of the things when you read Sayyidina Ali's quotes, you always see timeless wisdom. It was amazing. SubhanAllah. Sayyidina Ali had a lot of wisdom. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He says, you won't get anything that you're hoping for except for patience over what you dislike. And he says, and put your effort into taking care of those things that are obligations upon you. You have certain obligations that you have. When it comes to what, what am I going to put my effort into, put your effort into those things that are obligatory upon you. Really profound stuff. There's another quote here about this whole, how things change. They go from one to the next and so on. There's another quote here that's really nice. I think we came across this in another class. But anyways, it's beautiful nonetheless. He says, النِّعْمُ أَضْيَافِ وَقِرَاهَا الشُّكْرِ وَالْبَنَايَ أَضْيَافِ وَقِرَاهَا الصَّبْرِ فَاجْتَهِدْ أَنْ تَرْحَلَ الْأَضْيَافُ شَاكِرَةً حُسْنَ الْقِرَاءِ شَاهِرَةً بِمَا تَسْمَعُ وَتَرَى He said that the blessings that you get, they're like guests. The blessings are like guests. And the way that you honor them, the way that you treat them right, is to show gratitude. And the difficulties that you go through, they're also like guests. And the proper way to treat them is to give them patience. So be so put effort in so that when your guests leave, they leave in a state of happiness because of what you gave them. And they can bear witness to what they saw and they heard from you. Imagine that one. Like, if something that comes, it's a trial. That trial, I'm supposed to treat it with some patience, right? If that trial comes, I treat it with patience. I go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that trial bears witness about what it saw and what it heard. Right? It's a beautiful idea. Or I have some sort of blessing. I show that blessing gratitude. So when I go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that blessing comes and says to Allah, I, you know, I was sent to someone, abduk so-and-so, and they showed me gratitude, and you know, I'm witness to what they did. It would be beautiful, right? So these things are... But, but the, also the point of it is that they're guests. Guests don't stay. Whatever it is that we have, that it's impossible for things to remain the same. You know, nothing ever remains the same. It always changes. Even if it looks the same, it's changed. Tamam. It's also said, one more line of poetry. قَدْ يُنِعْمُ اللَّهُ بِالْبَلْوَىٰ وَإِنْ عَظُمَتْ وَيَبْتَلِ اللَّهُ بَعْضٍ قَوْمِ بِالْنِعْمِ Same theme, which is, uh, it could be that Allah gives blessings through a trial, 
And it could be that he tries people through blessings. It could be that Allah gives blessings through trials. And it could be that he tries people through their blessings. SubhanAllah. Makes me think of prison work. SubhanAllah. Amazing. This is now again Al Muhasibi. Warda Bima Aradakallahu Lah. Qal ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the great companion. Irda Bima Qasamallahu Laka Takun min Awlan Nas. Wajdanib ma harramallahu alayka takun min awra'in nas. He said, Al Muhasibi said, Be content with what Allah wanted for you. Sorry, let me look at this more carefully. Be content with what Allah wanted you for. Be content with what Allah wanted you for. Hmm. Ibn Mas'ud said, Be content with what Allah has given to you. And if you do that, you will be from the richest of people. You will be from the richest of people. And stay away from what Allah has made forbidden upon you. You will be the most cautious of people in matters of religion. Okay. The point here, and we've come across this many, many, many times, is that when we can manage to be content with what we have and not always seek more, this liberates us from that situation. And the best way to do that is to just always need less. And you would see people, I mean, I think in, in the States you see it actually, subhanAllah. A lot of people you see it. But sometimes you see it in other places like very, very clearly. People who have very, very little and they just don't care to have anything more. You know? Kind of like one, one outfit, some shoes, they're really old. Eating the same cheese every day, some bread every day. And it's as if they're on top of the world. Because yeah. you know, just whatever, whatever Allah gave you, then just be happy with that. And if you can do that, then like you're freed from everything else. Yeah. Um, could you explain that in the light of the ayah Because uh, a lot of times it's translated as the rule after death. But apparently, from what you're explaining, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In the context of Ayyatan Oh, you soul that's at ease. It's sometimes the sister is saying, sometimes it's explained as if that's something, that's the ease that they have after death. But it sounds like this is something here. Yeah. 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 Here, yeah, that's something that's needed here. I don't know if I would say required, but I would say needed. Something that we should be seeking here. Yeah, uh, I mean the scholars of spirituality they always say that there's different levels to the soul, and that mutma'inna, nafsul mutma'inna, is one of the levels of the soul. 
And so the, the base level of the soul is the nafs al-ammara to bisu, the, the base self that is commanding towards that which is bad. And then the next level is uh, a nafs al-lawama, the nafs that is self-reproaching. So sometimes it's like, hey, you're doing this thing wrong. Sometimes it's, it's kind of like wobbling back and forth. It's in the process, so to speak. And as a person goes through that over, a certain, over time, 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 then eventually they can get to a nafs al-mutma'inna, the, the soul that's at ease in this life. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, and some, some scholars even took it further than these three, but these three are the easy ones. You know, they have an radiya an, and a mardiya and I forget which other ones. Uh, and eventually until you get to an kamina. They have seven and this has three. But three is like the easier breakdown. Um, but yeah, this is something that we should be seeking now. And, and we should be able to, at some level, we are able to have this now. I mean, people will have different experiences. People have different, everyone has their own journey. But that is something that is possible now. You know, um, and you might find it in places that you really wouldn't expect. Like you, you think that if people have everything that they could ever want, they'd have that, and they don't. Subhanallah. You know, it's it's actually it's very similar to a child. Like if you give a child everything that they want all the time, they're not actually going to be stable. They didn't get that stability internally. There's a wisdom to it. You don't just like neglect them of everything either, right? But there, there is a way that people can uh, attain this. You know? uh, Imam al Bussiri says that the, the nafs, the base self, is like a child that if you just let them do whatever they want, they grow up loving to nurse. And if you wean them, they get weaned, you know. So there's a disciplining of the self that's necessary. And when the, when the disciplining happens, then the person can be liberated from these things that normally they would be subject to, you know. Kind of similar to what we were talking about before in terms of this discomfort and this and that and these emotions and so on. Okay, well, I recognize them, but I'm not, not going to worship them. And we're going to be steady. Uh, there are people like that, subhanAllah. Amazing people. Then in Muhasibi he continues, Radiallahu Ta'ala Anhu. And he says Wadi Maftarudallahu Alaika Takun min Abud Abudin Abadin Nas. Wadi Maftarudallahu Alaika Takun min Abadin Nas. And fulfill that which Allah has obligated upon you, you will be from those who are Abud. Abud is the person who's like the most in their obedience and submission and servitude to Allah. Do that which is obligated upon you, and you will achieve this level. Okay? And what he says in the comments is interesting from Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala. Ibn Qayyim said, Lillahi subhana ala kulli ahadin ubudiyyatun bi hasabi martabatihi siwal ubudiyyatun ammatin nati sawa bayna ibadihi fiha. So he says, every single person has with, a, with Allah a certain kind of loving submission that's appropriate for their status and their level. In addition to the, the just general 
ubudiyya, you know, this loving submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everyone's supposed to have that in general. And then every person has another layer of that specific to their situation. So he says, for example, that the scholar, part of their worship is to spread the sunnah and to spread knowledge. The ruler, their part of their sunnah is to establish justice. Or part of their ubudiyya is to establish justice. The rich person, part of their worship and, and servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to give to those who are in need. Um, the person who's able to command some sort of good or forbid some sort of evil, that becomes their responsibility. So each person has another layer of ubudiyya, another layer of loving submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is required for them. And they can attain a, a certain level with Allah through doing that. Again, the responsibility is always, or the emphasis is always on uh, what the responsibility is. What is it that I have to do? What is it that I have to do with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Okay, then Al-Muhasibi continues. And he says, وَلَا تَشْكُوا مَنْ هُوَ أَرْحَمُ بِكَ إِلَى مَنْ لَا يَرْحَمُكَ وَاسْتَعِنْ بِاللَّهِ تَكُونْ مِنْ أَهْلِ خَاصَتِهُمْ قال عبادة بن صامت رضي الله تعالى عنه في وصيته لابنه يا بني أظهر اليأس مما في أيدي الناس فإنه الغنى وإياك والطمع وطلب الحاجات إلى الناس فإنه الفقر That's beautiful, سبحان الله He said, المحاسبي said, do not complain Uh, like basically whatever Allah is putting you through He's more merciful to you than anyone else So don't complain about the one who's more merciful to you To the one that doesn't have mercy for you Like going around complaining to people This happened, that happened, so on and so forth so Obviously this is a general thing, right? If you have a specific case, you have a specific case The idea is like Allah knows better your situation Know that Allah is merciful with you and seek Allah's aid, you will be from His elect people. You will be from His elect people, like His special close friends. Ubada ibn Samit is one of the companions of the Prophet. He said an advice to his son, uh, like a parting advice, time of his death. He said, My son, uh, basically, Show despair when it comes to what is in the hands of people, and that is wealth. What he's telling him basically is, when it comes to what people have, don't want that. Don't want that. And that's what wealth is. If you can have that, then you're going to be alright. You know? I think one of the big fitness actually of our, of our era, even before what we're going through now, was the satellite dish. Like imagine you grew up in some sort of like small village or something. You have like a couple animals. You have some nature around you. You have a masjid. People memorize the Quran. They walk through the fields and they recite poetry and stuff like that. And they have like very simple life. And But like your whole place is all run down, you know, for the most part. Like it's not very nice at all. And, but you, you have shelter and you have food. And like you're, you know, and that's all you know. And you're okay. And then as soon as you install a satellite dish, you know, as soon as you install a satellite dish, now you have to see 
like New Horizon. <laughs> you know? There's nothing wrong with the place. I'm just saying, like, imagine you're in like a village that has nothing, and you've never even seen like anything. You know, you don't even know what an air conditioner is. I remember going to the airport sometimes. Sometimes we go to the airport in Egypt, and we watch like the village people come, and how they respond to an escalator. It's an amazing thing. You know, like subhanAllah. And it wouldn't be like we're laughing at them to make fun of them or something, but like it was incredible. Like you you watch these people, they've never seen an escalator before. So I like go to the escalator, they're all scared of it and like trying to pull up their thobe so it doesn't get caught and like it's a whole thing because they've never seen an escalator, you know. They never wanted an escalator, we just walk upstairs. You know? Why why would I need an elevator? I can just climb the stairs. Like I don't even know what an elevator is. What's an elevator? I just climb stairs. You know what I mean? Like, it's actually, interestingly, in, in the Egyptian usage, you, they don't use the Arabic word for elevator. I think it's like a French word or something, right? Asanseir? Huh? Yeah, they, don't, they don't use the Arabic word for it. Because it's kind of like, you know, if you, if you have an elevator, you were in the colonized part of the country. <laughs> you weren't in the other part of the country. So, like... You didn't have that before, so you don't think about it. Even one of my friends growing up, he grew up in, in, in a certain area of L.A. that was really difficult. He wasn't a friend growing up. I, learned, I met him later in life, but he told me about when he was growing up. And he was like, we used to turn on the TV and be like, where do these people live? You know, like they don't, they don't live in this neighborhood. Like this neighborhood is very different than what I'm seeing on TV. You know? uh, so... That really messes with you. Right? And you want these things that all these other people have, but they're not necessarily like what you have. And you would have been okay. You know, I, we used to say like when we were living in Cairo, because we lived there for a number of years, I was convinced in my head, I don't, never, I, I don't ever need to be outside of an apartment. Like a two-bedroom apartment, alhamdulillah, we're living luxury, you know. And then like you come back, you start seeing houses, you start seeing different things, and the next thing you know you want, like a yard would be nice, you know? You start thinking about things that you never thought about before. But he's saying like, just don't need that, and you'll be wealthy. But if you're always looking, the imply of this is that if you're always looking at what other people have, then you'll never have any wealth. You'll always be searching for what someone else has. Now, we shouldn't take this to mean that we have to live like really bad lives and you know, live in mediocrity and things can just all be messed up and like, why do you want more? And so that's not, you know, like sometimes our neighborhoods are really just bad and it would, it, human beings should be not living in those conditions. And there's an, there's an unfairness to it and there's an oppression to it and there's an injustice to it and so on and so forth. That's a systemic discussion. We're talking now like on a very personal level. Um, and and we can want nice things in life, but he's just, he's giving them this guidance, right? Just try, point is, try not to abuse this. Use it where it makes sense. Don't use it where places where it doesn't make sense. And he said, And he said, Beware of wanting and needing things and asking people for things because that's true poverty. You know, being in a position where you're asking people for things all the time, you're needing things from people all the time. Again, don't take it to its extreme. Sometimes we need things from people. We support one another. We live as a community. We, all of these things are true, right? But the idea is that I, preferably, I'm in a position where I'm not always asking people for things. I want to be like that. So, and if I can do that, then that's a type of wealth. <clears throat> and Muhasibi continues.
There's a story actually here that's pretty cool. It's a story of uh, Ibrahim ibn Adham. Ibrahim ibn Adham was one of the early righteous people. Um, a man came to him and he said, Ibrahim, or Abu Ishaq, uh, I wanted you to accept some gift from me, you know, this, this jubba. I wanted you to accept this thing from me. So Ibrahim said to him, if you're wealthy, if you're ghani, wealth is not like probably the best translation of this, but like you're without need. Okay? If you're ghani, then I'll accept it from you. And if you're faqir, then I won't accept it. Okay? So the man said, I'm ghani. So he said, how much money do you have? He said, I have 2,000 dinars. Uh, so Ibrahim said to him Would you not want it to be 4,000 Rather than the 2,000 And the guy said yes Then Ibrahim said to him Then you're faqir I can't take it from you <laughs> You understand it He said are you, are you wealthy or are you poor If you're wealthy I'll take it from you If you're poor I won't take it from you he said, I'm wealthy. He said, how much money do you have? He said, 2,000 dinars. He said, wouldn't you want your 2,000 dinars to be 4,000 dinars? He said, yeah. He said, then you're poor. I can't take it from you. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it so cool to meet these people? You know, like that's their conversation. <laughs> what, a, what an amazing, you know, maybe we meet them in Jannah, inshallah. What a cool conversation to have. Uh, وَإِذَا صَلَّيْتَ فَصَلِّ صَلَاةَ مُوَدِّعٍ Muhasibi says And if you pray, pray as if it's your last prayer If you pray, pray as if it's your last prayer There's stories here about these people Who uh, Like if you told them The angel of death is approaching you right now It wouldn't change them at all like they did, they're doing everything they wanted to do. They did everything that they're supposed to do. They're perfectly okay with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you told them the angel of death is coming to you right now, it wouldn't change them at all. It'd just be like, okay, you know, it's cool. كان من الثقات العابدين قال بكير بن عامر لو قيل لهم قد توجه إليك ملك الموت يريد قبض روحك ما كانت عنده زيارة على ما هو فيه. You wouldn't have found anything different about him. He was already, he was already there. Right. And then there's many other stories of a similar situation. I didn't uh, make note of all of them. One of them is Sufyan Athori, his one of his teachers, Mansur ibn Mu'tamir. He said about his teacher, so he knows, right? Sufyan says, if you saw him praying you would have said to yourself, he's dying right now. Like he, he's praying as if he, he really feels that he's about to die. You know, and that, that's how he prayed, subhanAllah. Muhasibi says, back to Muhasibi, وَعْلَمْ أَنَّكَ لَن تَجِدَ طَعْمَ الْإِيمَانِ حَتَّى تُؤْمِنَ بِالْقَدْرِ كُلِّهِ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ He says, and know that you won't taste the sweetness of Iman until you believe in the divine decree, preordainment, foreordainment, however you want to translate it, in its entirety, the good of it and the bad of it. This is a really tricky one, I think, for us. Like, you know, when you're really into activism, and like you want to change things, you want to make things better, 
the decree sometimes gets tricky to, to pay attention to. Because you really start to feel like you can change it almost. And then accepting that, you know what? This isn't changing. SubhanAllah. Like, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and I'm going to do whatever I can. But like, there are limits to what I can do. I will continue to do my responsibility. But there are limits to it. You know? And until you believe. He says, no, that until you believe, you won't taste the sweetness of faith. Until you believe in the divine decree, all of it, the good of it and the bad of it. Abu Ghudda, he says in the bottom, Rahimahullah, he says that you know that all of it comes from Allah and you have absolute certainty that nothing that was meant to come to you would miss you and nothing that was meant to miss you would come to you as mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet Wasallam. And then there's a story of Ubadah ibn Samit who, uh, in the end of his life, his son asked him advice and he sat him down and he said, Oh my son, you won't taste the sweetness of Iman and understand the reality of true knowledge of Allah until you believe in the divine decree, the good of it and the bad of it. This is one of the parting advices. Uh, so then his son said to him, How do I do that? And he said to him, Know that anything that missed you, it wasn't going to come to you. And anything that came to you, it wasn't going to miss you. And he said, Oh my son, I heard from the Messenger of Allah وسلم, that the first thing that Allah created was the pen. And he said to it, write. And then it wrote everything that would be until the end of time. And he said, so basically know this. And if you disbelieve in this, you disbelieve in Allah, you're going to hell. Not like particular cases, but know that like everything is in the knowledge of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to know that. Then he brings a narration here, it's weak, but it's an interesting dua attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so I'll read it. It says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would make this dua. Again, the, the hadith is weak, but it's an interesting dua you can think about. He say, Allahumma inni as'aluka imanan yubashiru qalbi hatta a'lama annahu la yusibuni illa ma katabta li. So he said, Oh Allah, I ask you, Iman, that touches my heart so much so that I know that nothing comes to me except for what you wrote for me. And a contentment with my life and that which you have given me. This is what I ask you, Allah. This is narrated in the dua of the Prophet Which brings us to this last story that we'll end on, inshallah, which is the one I was hoping we were going to get to. So, alhamdulillah. <coughs> it's, it's kind of long. So, one of the things they do in this section is there's basically stories about people who faced different things, knowing, and they had absolute certainty that whatever was decreed was all that it was going to be, and there was not going to be anything else that's going to happen, okay? And there's one of them that's like a really extreme story, which is the story of uh, Bunanin, Bunan and Hamman. Bunan and Hamman, okay? So this person, Bunan ibn Muhammad ibn Hamdan ibn Sa'id ibn Hassan al-Zahid, we yu'rafu bin Hamman. He was known as Al-Hamman. And, um, you know, he was early. 
like in the first couple hundred years. Okay, he was Baghdadi in his origin, but then he lived in Egypt. And he had a special place with the people. And he never took any he never took anything from any ruler. Okay? The people loved him, the people respected him, and he wouldn't take any you know what from any ruler. Okay? So you know where this is going. And he was an example in terms of like his worship and his piety, his asceticism, so on and so forth. So there was a righteous person, his name was Abu Ali al-Rudhubari. And he said, He said, the reason I came to Egypt was the story I heard about this man named Bunan and Hamad. So he's this righteous person, you know. He's like, the way he's described in the quote is he's Ahadu Akabir al-Sufiya. So he's like known as a righteous person. He says, the reason I entered Egypt is because the story that I heard about Bunan. So what is the story you heard about Bunan? It's a story about the man who was thrown to a lion and the lion didn't eat him. Okay? The story is that Bunan and Hamad, he gave, he Amara ibn Tulun. Ibn Tulun was a ruler of Egypt. Okay? So he gave, he, he gave him some advice, let's say. Commanded him to some things. And Ibn Tulun didn't like that. Alright? So, he got angry. And he commanded that he should be thrown into the pit with a lion. Okay, so like we're gonna. This guy told me something I didn't like it. Let's throw him in the pit with the lion. This is how these people were, you know. Subhanallah, they did sometimes really good things. His the masjid of Ibn Tulun is still there in Old Cairo. It's huge. It's like one of the biggest masjid in Old Cairo. It's a very beautiful, amazing place. So he threw him in the in the lion's den, literally, right? When he was thrown into the lion's den, the lion came up to Bunan and started to sniff him, and didn't hurt him. Then he was taken out and it was said to him, What was in your heart when the lion was smelling you? <laughs> he said, What was in your heart when the lion was smelling you? Here's what he said. That's the end of the story. He said, What was in your heart when the lion was sniffing you? He said, I was thinking about the difference of opinion amongst the scholars on the water that's left over from predatory animals when they drink it and how that affects the ruling of their saliva and whether it's pure or impure. So that's what I was thinking about. So he has absolute certainty that if this lion is going to do something to me, it's going to do it. And if it's not going to do something to me, it's not going to do it. So when it comes close to me and it's sniffing me, I'm just thinking about like, is this pure or impure? Do I have to wash this off afterwards? How is it going to affect my salat? That's his concern. <laughs> so they went to see him, you know. Sheikh Abdul Fatah, he says, فَسُبْحَانَ مَا أَثْبَتَ هَذَا الْقَلْبِ وَمَا أَشَدَّ بِاللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَإِعْرَادُهُ عَمَّا سِوَى وَقَدْ عَاشَ اللَّهُ بُنَانًا حَمَّالٍ بَعْدَ وَفَاتِ بْنُ طُولُونَ He says, look at this person, subhanAllah, that Allah gave him this strength and this steadiness. And Allah gave him a long life. He lived for 43 years after uh, the ruler, Ibn Tulun. And Ham, uh, Bunan and Hamad lived for 43 years after Ibn Tulun. So he stayed for a long time after him. Uh, 
So there's like a footnote on the footnote here. Abu Ghadda in this section, he really, rahimahullah, like he went in. There's like 10 pages of footnotes. We skipped a bunch of them. There's a footnote on the footnote. So his footnote on the footnote says, this is about what did the writer, Mustafa Sadiq al-Rafi'i, people in Arabic literature, they know him. He's very famous. In like the 20th century, he wrote these prose pieces that were like really well respected for being very beautiful and stuff like that. Mustafa Sadiq al-Rafi'i, Wahy al-Qalam. He had a book called Wahy al-Qalam. Three volumes, which reminds me, I'm pretty sure we had that book, and I haven't seen it in probably ten years. Wow, well, it's happening a lot lately. I keep coming across things like it happened with the Diwan of Abu Atahiyah. I was reading some poem poem from Abu Atahiyah, and I was like, wait, we have his Diwan. Like, why I haven't seen his Diwan? Then I was like, wait, we had his, and next to it was the Diwan of Jarir. Where's that one? That one's gone too. And all these books are gone. I don't know where they went. Subhanallah. Whoever has them, may Allah benefit them from me. I don't think anyone borrowed them. I don't know where they went. Anyways, in Wahy al-Qalam, he tells this story. And he says something incredible from this story. SubhanAllah. He said, والنفس الكاملة والأخلاق الإلهية هو في الجهل كالبلد الذي ليس فيه كتاب من الكتب البتة وإن كان كل أهله علماء وإن كان في كل محلة منه مدرسة وفي كل دار من دوره خزانة خزانة كتب فلا تغني هذه الكتب عن الرجال فإنما هي صواب أو خطأ ينتهي إلى العقل ولكن الرجل الكامل صواب ينتهي إلى الروح وهو في تأثيره على الناس أقوى من العلم إذ هو تفسير حقائق في العمل الواقعي وحياتها عاملة مرئية داعية إلى نفسها. I had to give the whole section because if you understand the Arabic, it's it's really something. He says the land that doesn't have a shape. From the people of true and correct deen and complete self, perfected in complete self, and godly character, then that land is like a land that is steeped in ignorance, as if it has no books in it from any of the books of knowledge. You know what he's saying? Okay. What is it, again in the context of this story? Because the story is of this man who was like that with Allah. So he's saying there's land, if you have a land that doesn't have people like that with Allah, then you're in ignorance. He said, even if all of the people of that land were scholars, even if all of the people of that land were scholars, and in every corner there was a school, and in every house there was a library, um, all of these books wouldn't suffice from having real men. Because all of that knowledge is truth or falsehood that ends at the intellect. All of the knowledge of the books is truth or falsehood that ends at the intellect. But the complete man could be a woman too. Just a rajul and kamen could be a woman by definition. They are a completeness or they are a correctness that ends at the soul. So... When it comes to their impact on people, it is much stronger than the impact of knowledge. 
because that person is a commentary on the reality of true action, correct action, and they're like a living embodiment of the reality of existence, like what existence is all about, and what, what this whole thing is all about. That person is the true embodiment of it. So they're far more important than all these books and everything else, and all of the books are meaningless without them. The amazing thing about this statement is, it sounds crazy sometimes to people, the greatest scholars of our religion understood this. So they lived their whole life in knowledge, and then they always knew something was missing, and they're looking for that person. It's amazing. You read their stories, it happened to a number of them. Ibn Ajiba, it happened to him. Ibn Al-Ta'ala, it happened to them. They were like great scholars of their time, but they're like, we need something. We're missing, we're missing this, right? He says, because, so if people stood up and they debated for 10 years, you know, the different virtues and how to get them. And they wrote a hundred books about it. And then they saw one man who was a true expression of those virtues. And they stayed in his company and they spent time with him. Then that one man would have been more beneficial to them than all of those 10 years of study and research and debate and everything else. And he would have been a clearer indication of what true virtue is than a hundred or a thousand books. It's beautiful. Keep in mind that he's writing also in a time where there is a very strong effort to make people forget that that's a reality. You know, he lived under like colonialism where the shuikh were always portrayed negatively and all the movies were showing them bad and all the stories were showing them bad and stuff like that. He said, and because of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a messenger with every book that was revealed. So that the messenger would give to the book a power and a strength that's seen through the existence of the messenger. Uh, that can be easily understood. And because of it, goodness can come out of people and they can attain great benefit. Uh, Here's the point that I said is as relevant for Father's Day. This is Ajib. This statement actually is Ajib. I had to read it a couple of times. I was like, wait a second, what is he saying here? So the sign of this man amongst everyone else is that their existence among people has more impact on the people than what they do for the people. <laughs> it's a deep statement. You have to kind of like, I don't even know. <laughs> what, like their wujud, yeah, I'll read it in Arabic again. And ya'mana wujuduhu, yani wujuduhu huwa al-fa'il. Ya'mana wujuduhu fi man hawlahu akthara mimma ya'manu huwa binafsihi. And the existence of that person is more impactful than what the person themselves does. Because of like what's in their heart. What's in their heart is far greater than what's on their hands. So whatever they do with their hands it has no comparison to whatever is happening with their heart. And then that's happening through their presence with people. As if there's something, there's like a, a, there's like a connection between their soul and the souls of everyone else who's around them. فَلَهُ مَعْنَى أُبُوَّةِ فَلَهُ مَعْنَى أُبُوَّةِ الْأَبِي فِي أَبْنَائِهِ 
لا يراه من يراه منهم إلا أحس أنه شخصه الأكبر. So he says, so this person will have the meaning of the fatherhood of the father amongst their children. This person will have the meaning of the fatherhood of the father amongst their children. Uh, anyone who sees that person from amongst them will feel like that person is like a bigger version of themselves. You know, like there's, they feel this uh, resonance or like a receptivity between them. And this is how the completion of humanity comes about for, for people. And it's as if this person was created to show us that what we think is impossible is actually possible. SubhanAllah, that's an amazing passage. Uh, and he continues. I don't know if I should read all of this. Maybe we should just finish it. We got this far. He said, and from the amazing wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that there are serious illnesses that spread through contagion to those who come into proximity to them or contact them. And uh, he said, and the great power in existence, great powers in existence, they also spread through the similar contagion. Uh, to those who come in contact with them and, and spend our time and their presence. And because of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created a salihin. Allah created righteous people for this. Uh, because taqwa is like, the taqwa that they have afflicts other people the same way that sickness afflicts someone who's sick. Their sickness afflicts the people who come in contact with them. People of taqwa, when they come in contact with other people, the taqwa, they get afflicted with their taqwa. So Allah created them for this. Uh, uh, and, and that taqwa that they come in contact with, then it will take them away from the desires of this dunya, and take them away from this, just like the sickness is taken away, uh, is passed from the person, right? Uh, and if people are not, and if people lose being around someone like this, then it's very difficult for them uh, to fix the things that they need to fix. And then he says basically that great people in history uh, were usually around these kind of people. That that's what gave them the strength to be able to do uh, what they were able to do. Hada wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam wa sallam alhamdulillahi wa alhamdulillahi Any questions or anything? Anyone has comments? Yes. Yeah, there's definitely more to it than that. So the question is, can I say more about this thing about how being uh, grateful over blessings is sometimes more difficult than being patient over trials? 
sometimes we think like if we just have something we say alhamdulillah then we did it i mean they say that shukr is sarf al-ni'mah fi ma that to have gratitude is to use one's blessing and that which is pleasing to Allah. This in and of itself, like if you think about a blessing like sight, <laughs> sight is a huge blessing. Forget everything else. You know, sight is a huge blessing. Now how do I use my sight? Only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's very difficult actually. People make a lot of mistakes in this. Um, ears, same thing. Our, our touch, our senses, our bodies. Um... I give you an example, like, you know, I always think of the story of when Sayyidina, the Prophet ﷺ left his home. Some narrations say out of hunger in Medina. And he came across Sayyidina Abu Bakr. And he asked Abu Bakr, what brings you out? And Abu Bakr said, hunger. And they came across Sayyidina Umar and they said, what brings you out? And he said, hunger. They walked around Medina, they went to one of the Ansari's houses and the Ansari wasn't there. And then he came home and he slaughtered an animal. They ate food, they had dates. They had water, they had some food. Afterwards they left the Prophet said to them, they did this, they left their home out of hunger. And they ate a meal. And afterwards the Prophet said to them, on the Day of Judgment you're going to be asked about this blessing. That's like really jarring. you know. Maybe this is not the best time to say it, but there's a rukhsa for the food of the salihin, they say, inshallah. When Marcus makes food, you can, it's okay to overeat a little bit. But um, Imam al-Sarakhsi, he says one of the reasons why overeating is haram, he says specifically why overeating is haram, is because, number one reason, is because you're eating in order to gain benefit, and when you overeat, now you've caused harm. And number two reason is that someone was in need of that extra food, that you ate, that you didn't need, someone else was in need of it, and when you ate it, you took their right. <laughs> it's kind of scary too, you know? So like, think about this. Like anytime I'm excessive, that could have gone to someone else. There are other people who need things. So, so you know, part of being having gratitude is sufficing with what we need and not always seeking more and using it in the best way and using our wealth in the best way and having concern for other people and being generous with other people and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, there's, that's, that's, that's a lot. Um, whereas if we're afflicted with something, then we just have to be patient. Actually, Ibn Atta'Allah, subhanAllah, radiallahu anhu, he says that the, the arifun, the knowers of God, they have more fear over the times of elation than the times of constriction. Yeah, they prefer <laughs> they prefer constriction because constriction, like you just don't do anything and you get through it. But when you're in a time of elation, people get you know a little bit. They say things maybe they shouldn't say. They do things sometimes they shouldn't do, so on and so forth. And so, you know. When you have, when when we need to exercise sabr, there's really only one option. It's to have sabr. But when we need to have gratitude, there's so many ways that that has to happen, and so many responsibilities that come with that. May Allah help us. Yes. Can I get, can I get? 
It's not free. <laughs> the blessing entails responsibility. Yeah. It has to be used. It entails the responsibility of feeling the gratitude in our heart. It entails the responsibility of speaking about it where necessary and appropriate. And it entails the responsibility of using it in a way that's pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and is reasonable and so on and so forth. Responsibilities, yeah. Yeah, the responsibilities can be different depending on the person and the situation. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. You know, we should feel a level of responsibility for this, but we shouldn't be overwhelmed either. You know, we make intention that Allah, we want to use our things in the best way possible. We want to do things that are good. You know, give us the strength to be able to do that. Give me the wisdom to be able to use what I have in a way that's beneficial. Give me, you know, we make du'a for these things. Inshallah. Uh, try to be positive, but we should we should recognize this. Um, our community has tremendous blessings, you know, like of knowledge, of of wealth. I mean, I I told you guys after we went to the Gambia, and I was like thinking to myself, you know, this is a small country, and it's beautiful people and everything else. So I started thinking, like, what are the populations? What is similar size? What is you know, like the population difference between the Gambia and San Diego County is pretty small. Probably like half a million people difference. So they're almost the same size population-wise, subhanAllah. GDP-wise, there's like $120 billion between them. That is an incredible difference. Like, you're not talking about... It was 120 or was it 220? And you can look it up yourself. You know, it's a simple Google search, you can look it up, right? But it, it was an outrageously huge amount of money. You know? Like the kind, of, the kind of wealth that we have access to here, I understand for like the average person, everyone's working, they have responsibilities, they have bills, I understand. <laughs> We're all, most of us are probably in a similar boat. But like still, some of the access of wealth that we have access to is incredible. I mean... Uh, we don't think about the blessings, you know. Like the road, the main road was under construction. It was like, how long has this road been? They're like, we don't even know at this point how long this road has been under construction. It's the main road. <laughs> like your, your drive from the airport to where we were going was all on some dirt road on the side because the main road hasn't been opened for who knows how long. It's been under construction, you know. We get to the other side, there's another one under construction. And then they're like, and if they don't finish it in the next month or two, the rainy season comes. And once the rainy season comes, if they didn't finish this, it's going to be all flooded away. And they have to basically start over. Yeah. It's like your one road. It's, it's not like a big place. You know? it's, it's like as if, I don't know, like you have the five and the five is gone. And the only way you can get anywhere is to drive down PCH and PCH is not paved. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's your, that's your whole thing. Anywhere you want to go is extremely difficult. You know? Even just using our phone to get internet, like we couldn't get internet while we were there. Like the things, I'm sure other people had it, but like the way our phones were set up, it wasn't working, you know? And stuff like that all the time. It's things like that, blessings you don't think about, you know? So think of, like when we were in Egypt, 
the idea of having AC that sufficiently worked in the car while you drive was like a big deal. You know, and the summer's hot. You know, it's like just driving with AC that works is is a big deal. Like you can get from your home to your work and you're not covered in sweat and you're not angry. That's that's a, like a really big deal. Um, so there's all kinds of things like this that you know, we don't think about. That's why traveling is good. And one of the things you realize, it goes back to the beginning of the lesson, is that the more we can discipline ourselves to be easygoing, to not need a lot, stuff like this, we can travel places, we can benefit. One thing I've seen over and over again is you see Westerners who travel places, they can't benefit from anything. Because they just can't handle anything. <laughs> so like anything that goes, this was five minutes late, that was ten minutes late, this thing didn't happen the way I wanted it to do, well I thought we were doing this, how come we're not doing this anymore? It's like, because it doesn't work that way, you're not, it's just not going to happen. Either you can get on the program and benefit from something in this place, or you can complain for the next eight days, like it's going to be your choice, you know? But we have to like develop this kind of uh, steadiness, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. Anyways, we should eat as a Gratitude for that blessing. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, ربنا آتنا من لدنك رحمة وهيئ لنا من أمرنا رشدا اللهم إنقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من غفلة عنك اللهم اجعل آخر كلامنا لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله عدد كمال الله وكمال يليق بكماله سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين جزاكم الله خيرا <تصفيق>